Digital Marketing Radio episode 240. How to integrate virtual events into your digital marketing strategy. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends shared by today's modern marketing masters. I'm sure that you're well aware of the value of virtual events. Build great relationships with industry thought leaders, foster an engaged community around your content and drive more revenue. But where do virtual events sit in relation to the rest of your marketing mix? And how can you better leverage the content generated and the relationships made as a result of your virtual event? Those questions and more are covered in this episode 240 of Digital Marketing Radio how to integrate virtual events into your digital marketing strategy. Joining me today is a lady who's specialised in event marketing for the last five years or so. She's a former head of event marketing for SEM Rush or SEMrush, and the current head of events and experiences for Parcel Lab. Welcome to DMR, Alexandra Panukina. Hi, David. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Um, you can find Alexandra over at ParcelLab.com. So, Alexandra, a lot of people are getting zoomed out at the moment. Uh, have virtual events got harder to run over lockdown or are they better than ever? I feel it can be both, depending on how you look at it. Of course, event marketers have become better at actually planning the events, at executing them from technology standpoint of view. But then there is a problem of actually capturing attention of your audience because of course there is some fatigue there is finally spring weather outside and there is also a lot of work that everyone has to do there is also hope for in-person events to return so some people may decide to wait maybe until later in the year to attend some of the in-person events but to be honest i believe in the potential of virtual also because they can finally be fully integrated into the whole marketing mix and they're not anymore this standalone channel that you can't really track because there is an offline element they are finally uh, tracked along with all of your other channels. You can finally really track and understand how the customer journey goes through the events. So there are tons and tons of opportunities. It's just about using them. Okay, so you use the word finally, I think three times there, finally integrated, um, finally part of the kind of customer mix and the, the whole, whole marketing mix as well. So have the, the, the production and way that virtual events are done changed significantly over the last year? I believe so. So um, a year ago, precisely a year ago, that's when the whole change happened and everybody was pivoting their events to virtual or doing cancellation, dealing with all of the contracts. The first idea was, okay, what can we do? We can transform to virtual. Let's take all of our speakers, put them on Zoom and just broadcast for 12 hours during three days because that's what our program was supposed to be. Uh, right now, I believe there are fewer and fewer events like that. They are more adapted to the reality of people wanting to have shorter, more um, kind of niche focused uh, content that is also spread across different days or also available in different formats. 
there are different platforms being used that's kind of kind of maybe not tackle all of the senses but at least provide some of the uh, engagement that everybody was talking about that it's lost when you're moved to virtual actually there can be engagement uh you just have to dig a little bit deeper and uh, come up with uh, some not so common solutions so you talk about engagement there but you also mentioned about perhaps spreading the event over a few days is it not easier to get more engagement by having a longer event and having the event all as one What's um, what I find and also a kind of from the overall industry perception, people right now are not able to dedicate their full day to the event unless it's really something huge. Like, for example, inbound, um, I think it got, it got quite a lot of engagement and uh, it was stretched across, I think, three days uh, full of content with different sessions. But uh, compared to in-person events, when you would go actually on a business trip to attend this event, so you're concentrated on it. Right now, nobody really gets a day off to attend an online conference. You kind of have to combine that with your everyday um, duties and some of the meetings and the emails and other responsibilities that you can have also as not a worker, but kind of a family member uh, or a friend. Uh, So you really need to fit it in your schedule. That's why the kind of the time and also the formats um, come in place. Maybe people can't just watch uh, anymore. They can't watch on the screen, but they actually want to listen to it. Or they also want to get the recap in a written form afterwards. So that's where uh, the connection with all of the other contents, uh, formats, and other channels comes in place. I I like the thinking that actually a virtual event doesn't have to be just a one-off. It can perhaps be a series as well. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I partnered with a few big MarTech brands to produce a big live stream series that that, that became a book. Um, But I did a live stream for an hour and a half uh, once every day for five days in a row. Is that that something along the lines of what you were uh, advocating? Um, It can be that, but what I'm definitely advocating, even if it is an hour and a half, that is very, very long for an event. And then you need to keep up the dynamic. And the kind of the rule of thumb is that every 15 minutes or so, you need to switch either the speaker or the topic or the way of presentation. So there has to be some change happening, let's say on screen. Uh, The tactic. TED Talk formula of this 18-minute long conversation uh, actually has something in it because that's the attention span that you can actually keep and listen. And it's more than enough to convey a message and add value to whoever is uh, listening or watching you right now. I've also found um, uh, that even 10-minute stretches work quite well if you really nail down on what you're talking about. The problem that some of the events do is They will start off with a 15-minute introduction talking about why this topic is important. If people already tuned in, they know that it is important. They don't need to listen about it. They just want to get the content right away. And a good speaker, uh, really an expert in their field, can share in 10 minutes that golden nugget of information that uh, will be helpful and can move the needle for someone who is working uh, in that particular industry. That's great advice there as well. And you don't necessarily have to replicate a traditional conference format. And because you're doing it online, you can do it in a very, very different way. 
So what does that mean then in terms of um, why brands do virtual conferences? Um, so, so what are the main benefits that a brand would do it? Is it to keep the brand top of mind so that uh, when someone's ready to make a purchase, then that's the brand that they'll consider? Well, I guess there are certain uh, different benefits, actually, uh, and they uh, define why virtual events will not be over once in person comes back. Uh, first benefit is the reach. Uh, doing virtual, you can reach so many more people in many more locations that you would do with in person. Uh, really now kind of the sky is the limit, right? Or time zone is the limit of who can tune into your events. But again, you can play around with that and uh, repurpose whatever you produce during the live event as the recordings or repurposing in different formats to also um, reach people in different countries and different languages and different time zones. Um, that's one benefit. Then the costs, of course, virtual are not for free. Uh, they do cost something. And if you really want to create a nice experience that will be top-notch from the production standpoint of view and also from the attendee experience, it will cost you uh, quite some money, but it will still be less than an in-person event just because mm. the rental costs for the venue, for food, for insurance for all of the other small details that add up quite quite a few thousands on top of your budget. So that's uh, number two, um, I would say. And then also the content that you can produce through the virtual event that can then fuel all of your other channels that can um, support you for quite, some, quite a long time uh, as a brand, whatever you're sharing on social media or if you need more content for your blog or if you need some expert uh, interviews you can create it all during your events and then use afterwards so with uh, the virtual events there has been uh, with the in-person event sorry uh, you would also create some content you would record the sessions but still um, it was not probably used as much and it did not create that much of the content as the virtual now do. Amon Johns is saying in the chat, the golden rule of all online marketing promotion needs to be DWMT. Don't waste my time. Uh, the first step of optimization is always to optimize the delivery of what people want. How do you establish what people want to begin with and what content you should be delivering as part of your virtual event? Well, ask people, talk to people. You really need to stay on top of things. Uh, that would be my advice. Um, talk to your customers because uh, if you're a brand and you're producing the event, you want your customers to enjoy it and you want probably the people who are likely to become your customers to come to it. Therefore, you need to understand what they want. Um, actually, people really like talking about their interests or what they would like to see. So going out there, Asking people, running service uh, surveys uh, is a really good way to get the understanding of what's kind of cooking in the industry, following the kind of hot topics and trends um, as well, because that's what people care about as of right now. But then also doing some thinking and some work on how you tie it all with what your brand delivers and how it ties with your values, with um, your value proposition, or what is coming up on your roadmap, maybe. And it's sometimes a lot easier to get people to sign up 
than it is to actually get people to attend to watch the virtual event. So how do you convert people from being interested in attending your event to actually attend it? Because I've seen attendance rates as little as 10% of people that actually sign up. And that's a bit sad. You think that loads of people are going to sign up and watch your virtual event. So, so how do you encourage that? Yeah, that's truly sad if it's 10%. That's so much work. Um, it just gets wasted. <laughs> what, what percentage should you be aiming for? Well, um, kind of 40 to 50% attendance rate for a free virtual event seems like a healthy rate. If you go above 50, um, 60, 70, you're doing a good job. Um, and then if we talk about um, some more exclusive experiences, maybe like a VIP event or event for your um, customers or prospects, then it can be as high as 80, 90%. But the key to all of this is the proper communication with your attendees and uh, also kind of delivering the message of why it's valuable to attend live. What, what there will be unique, kind of you need to create this um, fear of missing out, right? Uh, so that people mm. understand that they want to join, that they need to join because otherwise they just won't get the value out of it. So, so what are a couple of examples of things that you've seen work in the past as reasons why people would want to join live? One of the easiest probably uh, ways and that works is, so to say, sharing the responsibility or like the even rather ownership of the event with the registered attendees. So if you ask people for their input for the agenda, who they want to see as speakers, um, what questions they want to ask, what topics they want to see covered, and then you share it on social or message them actually that, oh, based on your inputs, we've added this speaker to the agenda, or we will be covering this topic, or uh, during our brainstorming session, we would love you to be a featured attendee and to actually come on screen and share your experience. They feel heard and they feel that organizers care about delivering the value specifically for them. That is extra piece of work and that takes uh, more time than normally, you know, just set the webinar with your own speaker from the company, uh, uh, landing page from Zoom, that's it, done. Yeah, you can go that way or you can go a little bit more complex way, but get more attendees actually to feel valued and to um, join life. That's one way. Um, second way, as I mentioned, communication. What I find, it's very important to have the real person talking to the attendees before the event. So um, all of my emails before the event, they go from me or from maybe the moderator, if it's a well-known face uh, from our company or uh, overall in the industry, um, they will be sharing what is going to happen during the event, uh, what to expect or what to prepare. And my kind of formula is send the reminder, like the confirmation upon the registration, uh, but it also has to be personal, not just the uh, standard automatic message. And then um, connect 10 days to one week before the event, uh, one day before the event, and then on the day, uh, that's actually the uh, matter of experimentation, 30, 15, or even five minutes before the event, depending on complexity of your login process, which I hope is not complex and you just use magic links. That's uh, the way to get more live attendees as well. 
just to make the login process easier. That works uh, That works pretty well because you stay on top of people's inbox, uh, you stay on top of their calendar, and they also feel connected to you, especially if you kind of start the conversation or ask for their feedback in your emails. We also touched on the importance of using content elsewhere, content afterwards. Um, so what are some examples of um, great uses of the content that you create as a result of the virtual event used elsewhere? So apart from the video recordings, which is quite an obvious thing to produce, um, but you can also repurpose these videos, not just store them on your website as on-demand content, but you can actually kind of cut them in pieces and add subtitles, uh, create short clips uh, to use across your social media, or maybe share with um, customers. Or if actually you had the customer presenting, you can almost use it as a video foundation for a case study or some other interviews. So really, there are lots of ways that you can play around with that. Um, my advice here for the proper repurposing, especially the video content, kind of create the event and the live session with repurposing in mind. So you need to understand what bits and pieces of it you will be able to use afterwards so that you don't end up you know, with a session of 20 minutes and you're like, well, it only goes as a whole. You can't really cut out anything. So maybe plan it out in advance, like some phrases or something like this. Um, and then also uh, coming back to different formats, uh, you can always extract the audio or actually record it at once and then use it uh, as a podcast. Um, if you have a virtual event with lots of series, you can even create like mini podcast series based on that event specifically. It will be a way to drive more uh, people to your website and potentially explore other materials, but also a way to promote the next edition of your event because people who uh, found your podcast and listened to it and subscribed maybe, they will be more eager to attend the event live next time because they feel the value that you deliver. And then also the um, written content, and there you're unlimited in the ways you want to use it. You can create the blog post. It can be a wrap-up of the whole event. It can be... Uh, an interview based on the session that you had with someone and you just use the transcript and adapt it to the written format, or you can actually create the ebook uh, based on the key takeaways from the event or on some uh, inputs uh, and kind of uh, ideas created during some brainstorming sessions. Um, one kind of small pro tip here in order for you to repurpose the content after the event you need to make sure that you're good from legal perspective and that you include the repurposing of content in multiple formats after the event in the agreements that you sign with your speakers so that you don't end up um, in lots of great content but no agreement to actually use even the recording of it wow that that is a great Pro tip, as you say there as well. So if you get them to sign something like saying that um, they're happy for you to use the content elsewhere afterwards, does that mean that you could also potentially use a video clip of them in an ad, in a paid ad as well? Or do you have to say explicitly that you intend to do that? To me, you have to say that explicitly. And if the clip is so good that you want to use it in a paid ad, I would actually circle back and ensure that... Um, everybody's good and if needed to get the agreement for that because um, the events are all about relationships and it's very easy to kind of shatter them we don't want that to happen 
So yeah. I think it's important to get all these agreements, even if you feel like, oh, that would be too much to ask right now, but we want to use it later and maybe we'll agree afterwards or we will try and see what happens. That can be a way to lose this person as your speaker and as an expert who is ready to work with you in future. That's the, that, that's a very good answer because it's all very well to legally be okay and to say, look, you, you signed it to say that I could use it in any, any, any way. But actually, if they didn't intend that really, then you're potentially burning that relationship and that could be more damaging to you than the value of an ad that you'll get out of over the short term. So exactly. great, great thought there. Um, so let's segue into part two of our discussion. So it's now time for Alexandra's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with secret software. So Alexandra, share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. I guess I will go with Notion. That may not be that secret, but it's not that popular among marketers, I think. Uh, I know lots of um, kind of software engineers and product managers use it, but I found immense value in it. Uh, at ParcelUp, we use it as a kind of company-wide database and we have everything in it. Notes from the meetings, our planning, I have my event calendar, the whole process. It adds up a lot of transparency. It can become complex, but as soon as you understand the structure, then it's huge value because everything is interconnected and it's just one place where you can find everything. Brilliant. And um, what's the website address for them? It's notion.so. Superb stuff. Um, okay, we're well, moving on from something that you currently use to something that you're going to use. That is next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? Yeah, I must say I love that voice, <laughs> the voiceover. <laughs> that, that, that's me, that's, that's, that's me just... Um, <laughs> Incredible. Well, um, the tool that uh, I'm really looking forward to bring on board and start using is goldcast.io. That's an event platform that has been designed specifically for B2B marketers. So all of the analytics, the um, um, different formats of the sessions that you can run and the way it works and integrates with different other tools that has been designed with marketers in mind. So um, it's pretty helpful. The team is really cool. So they're happy to work on some of the needs that you might have. I'm quite excited about using it and running all of our events on it. Lovely. Okay, well, let us know how you get on with this. But let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions here. Just two rules. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are you ready? Yes, I am. TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? Podcast. Traffic or leads? Um, oh, that's a harsh one. I want to say the closed one deals. And <laughs> this, let's say both. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Influencers. Google ads or Facebook ads? Um... It depends. You didn't mention about this answer. Oh, well, that's getting right, isn't it? Okay, it no more, it depends. <laughs> Email marketing or chat marketing? Email marketing. MarTech stack or all-in-one platform? Um, MarTech stack. And one-to-one -one or scale? One-to-one. 
Okay, I will have to change at the beginning. You're not allowed to use the word both or it depends <laughs> more than once. Yeah. Uh, so I think the one that intrigued me was traffic or leads. That's the one that you seem to struggle with um, quite a bit. Uh, why is that? Well, because neither defines the actual business outcome and the revenue that you're going to get at the end. Like if you're driving tons of traffic, but your website is really bad and is not converting, you're not adding anything. You're not adding value. You're only spending budget on ads probably. Uh, and if you're talking about the leads, leads uh, kind of of its own do not guarantee the outcome either. Like if we talk about you know, MQLs, you're going to get 1,000, but if your conversion rate is less than 1%, you end up with nothing. So um, it's really more about the outcomes to me than just about this. Like you're, it's not about having huge top of the funnel, but it's actually probably kind of making it very equalized. Like if you look at the top of the funnel, middle and what converts at the end. So you don't want it to be really huge on top and then really narrow down at the bottom, but you'd rather look at how to improve the quality of what, of what comes in. So are you talking about by what really matters is just profitability? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would kind of double down on the thought leadership of all of the employees and kind of their personal brand on social media and particularly on the platform where all of your audience is. So I would kind of run the internal bootcamp of people learning how to use best uh, the uh, platform, how to create best content that will also position them as experts and uh, raise more awareness of the company. And I would use uh, this $10,000 to maybe invest in some equipment to improve uh, how our live streams look and also use it as an incentive for people who drive most of the uh, kind of awareness, mentions, impressions, and engagement on their posts. Especially if we're limited with a few days, that might be challenging to do because it takes a little bit of time. But I hope we can negotiate with you the $10,000 and the timing and so on. I'm pretty good at negotiating. That's what you do at events. <laughs> <laughs> so you started off with the phrase thought leadership. If um, a B2B brand that you're talking to hasn't really produced a significant volume of thought leadership content before, and they're not really sure where to start off with. How do you decide what theater, uh, thought leadership content to actually produce initially? Well, um, there are, I think, two ways to go about this thought leadership. Um, to not to pre because if you pretend that doesn't help, uh, you have to be the expert in uh, what you're talking about. Otherwise, it doesn't feel natural, and whoever is actually an expert. Um, will feel it. So in this case, you can be basically uh, act as a platform for the other thought leaders. So you can provide them the platform to speak up, share their thoughts and kind of build up that community. So this way you serve as the platform. And if you have um, a thought leader uh, within your company, or maybe an expert who is ready to work with you, uh, maybe really like influencer marketing already, or uh, they're joining your company, uh, that would be 
another way to go. So really attract or build up the expertise internally. And is this just long term brand awareness that you're trying to build up or is it possible to actually drive sales as a result of doing this? For instance, is it possible to publish thought leadership content on Facebook and then maybe retarget people with a view to being customers or is it, are the, the intention simply brand authority? Well, there is definitely a way to connect the dots and uh, use that to drive uh, uh, to drive revenue basically at the end of the day. Because uh, what it takes like for people to actually talk with you and uh, trust your solution, if you're my own solution provider, is to understand that you know what you're doing. You're not just in this business to um, to sell but not deliver value, but you actually specialize on this. You know what you're doing. You are respected in this in the community of experts, of thought leaders, they are ready to work with you. You yourself really produce interesting content. And uh, yeah, then there is this trust and they are more open also to connect and talk with some of your representatives and also to consider your solution. And when they will be uh, maybe even um, presenting your solution internally, uh, your thought leadership will be an additional argument in favor of uh, choosing you because those guys they know what they are doing mm. or they have uh, they will be able to actually help us navigate it it won't just be the solution but it will also be the expertise that comes with it because you definitely demonstrate thought leadership when talking about virtual events on linkedin i'm seeing your posts all the time and uh, so that's that's that, that's something wonderful that you're doing there as well how often do you publish posts on linkedin and how do you decide what to write well, I publish a couple times a week, um, sometimes almost every day. So it's at least three times and sometimes it can be even like six times, depending on how much inspiration I have and how much time I have as well. Um, so what I try is, uh, um, I think my, this golden uh, niche of what I post and what resonates most with people are very practical tips of what you can do to really improve your performance or improve your next event, or maybe some ideas to consider something that is not very common. So I don't specialize you know, on inspirational posts, like you can do it yeah, around the virtual event, but I'd rather say, okay, what um, type of uh, new swag you can actually use with virtual events, or uh, here is the list of companies uh, who can uh, create and like run the direct mail campaign for your event and deliver everything on time. So this is something that um, this is the information that I get from my own research. So it's quite unique, and I guess that's also uh, why it resonates with people. So I do not usually share like the articles uh, or something else. It's usually my own observations or my own findings. Lovely. Yeah. And the fact that they're native posts, um, I guess LinkedIn will give them more organic reach as well. You'll get more interaction from that as well. But um, but great job uh, from your thought leadership. Let's finish off by focusing on someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? I would name my kind of fellow events marketing colleague uh, from Informa, director of global events uh, Ka there, Catherine Frankson. Catherine is doing an amazing job with uh, running uh, the events at Informa, but also kind of elevating the importance of events and events as a marketing channel. So 
Um, she's my counterpart on LinkedIn, and I truly enjoy her posts. So if uh, you like what I write, I would really, really recommend <laughs> checking out uh, content that Catherine creates. I think it's great, and it really connects the dots of events and marketing, uh, which I love. Your counterpart, never your competitor. Never. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see for that, you know, never say never. People never say never. <laughs> Look, um, this was episode 240 of Digital Marketing Radio, where uh, Alexandra Panikina from Parcel Lab shared um, wonderful tips about uh, virtual events, including how to get attendees involved in the production of your event. If you do that, you're going to increase your percentage of people who actually attend events as well. The fact that you should email personally uh, and tell people what to expect, expect by attending the event. Use magic links. Make it easy for people to attend the events as well. Um, plan to use subtitles on your content once you repurpose your content. Use short clips afterwards. And you can plan out to include things like case studies as a result of producing your event there as well. You shared Miro.com and Notion.so as your secret software. Gocast.io as your next one on the list, and Catherine Frankson as your magical marketer. Everything that you mentioned today, um, Alexandra, will be in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com and, of course, in the description over on YouTube. Alexandra, what's the best way uh, for someone to say hi to you on social media? As you mentioned, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so that's the best platform uh, to connect with me. Super, but I'll also include that um, in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. I've been your host, Eva Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, please let us know what you thought. Feedback is fantabulous. Um, So um, make sure you're subscribed, of course. Subscribe on the YouTube channel. Subscribe um, on uh, whatever podcast platform you happen to love as well. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com